We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to go back and talk about something I left out yesterday, and that is the original selfie, the first selfie that was ever taken. Well, it's not the first one, it's the first one that ended in a fatality. I'm going to talk more about that, but really today's show is about old glory, America's flag, and why we should be saying the Pledge of Allegiance. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. Okay, we just celebrated Flag Day, so I want to spend some time talking about that right now. And I'm going to use our Pledge of Allegiance as a means of doing so. I mean, my land, the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We all grew up saying that pledge. We've memorized it. It's part of who we are. Do we understand what we're doing and what we're saying? Do we understand what the flag of the United States of America really means? So I'm going to spend a lot of time on that today. And I think rightfully so, because it's loaded with first things. Again, C.S. Lewis, first things and second things. We need to get the first things straight, get them right, and we might get the second thrown in as good measure. But if we reverse the order and start focusing on second things, C.S. Lewis tells us, we'll probably get neither the second nor the first. And the Pledge of Allegiance is loaded with first things with regard to who we are as a culture, who we are as a country, and what it means to be an American. So I'm going to spend a ton of time on that, but I want to get back to the original selfie, and I stand corrected, not the original one. We probably don't have that on record, but we think we do have on record the first selfie fatality. I want to use that as a way of tying a bow around a lot of what we've talked about over the last couple days with regard to narcissism. But before I get into any of that, remember that if you would like to subscribe to The Rebellion, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. That's patreon.com backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. One more time, patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. I'm very excited with the number of you who have been subscribing. As I've said before, we're now averaging around 21,000 listens per month of The Rebellion on the podcast version. And then, of course, there's the live radio show at KOKL Radio, KOKL 1240 on your dial. Again, I encourage you to listen to the show there. You can listen uh, the regular way, the old-fashioned way, in your car or in your house if you're with, within that broadcast range down near Okmulgee, Oklahoma. Or you can always listen to it via online 
um, KOKL radio, um, 1240 on your dial. You can just listen online by Googling that if you'd like to do it that way. And then, of course, is uh, a podcast. It's converted to a podcast, and you can pick that up in a variety of different venues, and you can listen to it anytime and anywhere by going to that. Let's take an early break, acknowledge our sponsors, and when I get back, we'll talk about Old Glory, the American flag, and the first things that are implicit in that particular Pledge of Allegiance to our flag. And we'll also talk about the first fatality that was the result of a selfie. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. People often have challenging questions about Christianity that deserve a thoughtful, respectful, and gentle response, including how can an all-loving, all-powerful God allow so much suffering? Does science disprove Christianity? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? And is Jesus the only way to God? For answers to questions like these, there's the Oklahoma Apologetics Alliance. For more information, see them online at oklahomaapologetics.com. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to the rebellion. A costly selfie. I take this story out of my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. Remember, I'd like you to buy it. So if you want to buy my books, just Google EverettPiper.com or just Google Everett Piper and the title of my books. So, for example, Everett Piper, comma, not a daycare, and it'll take you to my national bestseller, Not a Daycare. My most recent book is Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, so you can just Google that. Both books have done well. I encourage you to buy them. That's one way to support the rebellion. You can become a subscribing member by going to patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper, but you can also support us by buying one of the books or both of the books. You can buy them in a package. I think if you buy all three books, Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth, and Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. If you want all three, I believe you can get them in a package right now for around 60 bucks. So just FYI, forgive 
the shameless self-promotion there. So in the book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, I have a chapter titled, Don't Fall in the Pool. And that's the story about Narcissus. And it's the story about essentially what's going on in our culture right now. The cancel culture, microaggressions, trigger warnings, I want my safe space, give me a teddy bear, give me Play-Doh, a coloring book, and videos of frolicking puppies in my counseling center at Berkeley and Brown. And I'm not making that up. They really do that. They're actually doing that with 18 to 21-year-olds. You've heard me bemoan this over and over again on The Rebellion. But because this was my industry, I lived in the ivory tower for over 35 years. Education is my business. It just gets on my nerves to see the collapse of the ivory tower and the fact that we're actually coddling our students that badly. Well, the result of that is we've trained a bunch of narcissists. We live in a world of a bunch of people who are more interested in looking good on a selfie than they are in understanding the time-tested truths of history, of tradition, of reason, of experience, and the revelation that God has given us. So in my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, There's a chapter, Don't Fall in the Pool. You've heard me refer to it before. And it's the story of this narcissism that we have brought upon ourselves. And I use Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as a context for describing how we've created this version of humanity that's really a grotesque, pieced-together monster that is now turning around and biting us because it's angry, because it's incomplete, Because we didn't give it a soul. We didn't acknowledge that it's the Imago Dei. It's created, a human being is created in the image of God. It's not created in our own image, not the image of what we see in the mirror. And that's the moral of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, classic work. We also have the classic Greek mythology of Narcissus the son of the Greek god Cephasus, who became so infatuated with himself that He sat at the river's edge, gazing at his own image, thinking not even Bacchus or Apollo or Zeus have achieved such grandeur and beauty as mine. Day after day, he gazes at his own image, infatuated with himself, the original selfie, if you will. He becomes emaciated, he slips, and he falls in, and he drowns. If you listen very carefully, To this day, you can hear Echo, the tree nymph Echo, as she pines after the loss of such wasted beauty. That's the story of the original selfie. And the story of Naomi Osaka is a modern day story of Frankenstein, Prometheus, and Narcissus, because we've created a generation. I'm not picking on her. I don't want to make the story somehow degrading Osaka. What I'm saying is if you've got a woman that's making $55 million a year, and she's going to make more than that because she's already made it in 2021. If you have a young woman who is that successful, who will walk away, take her ball, and go home simply because she doesn't want someone asking her questions that make her feel uncomfortable, don't you think we have a problem? Don't you think we have a monster that's turning around and biting us? Don't you think our enemies are watching China, North Korea? Don't you think they're watching the way the West is reacting to this stuff? They'll actually pout if you ask them a question 
about their performance on the tennis court. They'll actually shut down their entire economy if you tell them that they might get a disease that has a 98% survival rate. What in the world would they do if there was a disease that only had 90% survival? We could shut down their entire country without firing a shot. Don't you think our enemies are sitting back and saying that? If you don't think they are, then you have zero respect. You have zero respect for our enemies. And when you don't respect your enemy, your enemy will win. When I played basketball, when you played any other sport, you knew that if you didn't have any respect for your adversary, for your opponent, that you would often lose. It's called arrogance. It's called poor preparation. You have to respect your enemy or your enemy will defeat you. So the first selfie, as I hinted yesterday in yesterday's show, it uh, was a fatality in 2011. Three teenage girls were tragically struck by a train in Utah while they were taking a selfie on a railroad track. They didn't even respect what was going on around them enough to understand that something was charging toward them at breakneck speed that would crush them. And they were killed by a train on the tracks while they were smiling, their plastic performed little smiles on a selfie. Isn't that something? Does that smack of what's happening in today's culture? Does it sound like something that uh, you've felt as you've watched your kids or your grandkids, or even as you've watched your own peers? Or maybe you've done it yourself. You've practiced your selfie smile so well that you look great on those pictures that you post on your iPhone. But there's a lot of other stuff going on around you, a lot of things that you haven't resolved that really don't come through very well in that picture. That's really not reality because you haven't dealt with those things. All right, enough of the selfie. How does that tie into Flag Day? Well, the Flag Day. One more time on the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I would argue that we're caught right now in a culture that's so fixated on ourselves, so fixated on a false sense of freedom that we don't understand the liberty that's guaranteed to you and me, guaranteed to us in our Constitution. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. It says United States. It doesn't say divided states. I've said before on this show, I was the president of a university. I was never the president of a diversity. And there's a reason for that. Because a university is an institution, an organization, a tradition. It is 
an entity that stands for unity, the unity of veritas, the unity of truth, the una veritas, the una verities, the university. You send your kids to universities. You don't send your kids off to diversities because a university, at least historically, traditionally, was supposed to be a place where you would pursue the truth. You would pursue the reality of what Jesus promised you, and that is you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Thus the word university, univeritas, president of a university, not the president of a diversity. Stop talking about diversity. Start talking about unity. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, not the divided states of America. Stop talking about yourself. Ta- start talking about others and the unity of coming together as one culture. One culture to the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. We are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. It doesn't say I pledge allegiance to the divided states of America and to the democracy for which it stands because we are a constitutional republic. And what have I said over and over again about constitutions? They are covenants. And as Osgin has taught me, we always must vote for the covenant and not the hierarchy if we want freedom. Everett, he said, if you want freedom, always vote for the covenant. Never vote for the hierarchy. Why? Because hierarchies are driven by power. Belgium and France and the European Union are hierarchical. The Democrat Party is hierarchical. It's top down. It's we will tell you how to live. We're smarter than you. We're the elite. We're the smart ones. We've got it all together. We've been in D.C. for decades. We understand things that you rubes, you people that lack gray matter, you deplorables in the heartland, in the flyover states, you you folks that, I I guess that was a Freudian slip, you fools, you you fools, you, you folks that cling to your God and your guns, your Bibles and your bullets, you don't understand how to even use the bathroom. We'll tell you which one to use, and you you don't even understand which pronouns are appropriate for which gender. You think that there's such a thing as a male and a female. You think that men should stay out of women's sports. You think that you're created in the image of God and that you're not the product of the primordial ooze. You're stupid. You don't understand. Let us tell you how to live. That's hierarchical thinking. Does all that sound familiar? Well, it should, because I'm just rattling off the daily news. Hierarchies always lend themselves to power. But Osgin has said that covenants always bend toward freedom. If you want freedom, never vote for a hierarchy. Always vote for the covenant. The Magna Carta and the Constitution are covenantal. 
A republic is covenantal. It's grounded in the Constitution that binds the republic together. Radical democracies are nothing but power, the power of the 51% to crush anyone that disagrees with it. Always vote for the covenant. Never vote for the hierarchy. Stop talking about the United States being a democracy. When you hear a, a politician say that, recognize that that's not true. That's not true. We are a constitutional republic. We are a covenantal culture. That's the way we were, we were founded anyway. That's the promise. That's the legacy that our founding fathers gave us. And if we abandon it, we'll lose our freedom. If we become hierarchical, we won't be free. We'll have to do what a handful of people in Washington, D.C. tell us to do. We'll have to do what nine people in black robes tell us to do. We won't have the freedom that the American flag represents. I, pl I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands. Covenantal, not hierarchical. One nation, a unity of one. Yes, there's unity. There's unity in that one nation. Under God, under God. One more time, under God. None of this stuff is possible if we think we are God. All of this stuff is possible and almost promised. At least it's a principle. It's, some would argue it's promised. If you acknowledge that God is the foundation of your covenant and that you aren't, then you will experience the freedom that God promises you. What have I talked about a thousand times over? in terms of the paradox of freedom and fences, the paradox of liberty and law. As G.K. Chesterton told us, if you want freedom, build a fence. And he told us, there is no liberty without law. That paradox, and that's what's reflected in our flag, that we are one nation under God, and that oneness has a definition it's not a free-for-all. It's not a nation with open borders because a nation with no borders is no nation at all. Who among you that's listening right now doesn't lock your front door? Who among you lives in a house with no walls? Who among you thinks that people from, oh, name your most recent uh, protest group. Are you just going to let BLM move into your backyard set up tents, and live there indefinitely? Are you okay with that? Well, I assume you're not, and there's a reason for it. Because a house has walls, a house has a front door, a house, by definition, has borders. And your backyard does too. Most of you have a backyard that's fenced in for a reason. You want to keep some stuff in, and you want to keep other stuff out. The Vatican has walls, my land. Been there for well over a thousand years. The Capitol has walls. And they're shoring those up because they recognize that they need to be secured. There's some people that might breach those walls and cause problems. Do you get it? But here's the thing about walls. 
Maybe I can end the show with this. I've got about uh, four or five minutes left. We talk about the wall of separation of church and state. Where'd that come from? Well, it's not in the Constitution. You know that. It was first referenced by Thomas Jefferson. It was referenced because some people were getting nervous. Some people were worried that the federal government would have too much power. So Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptists in Danbury, Connecticut. And he said, he said to him, don't worry. Don't worry, because there's a wall separating the government from the church. The government can't get into your church business. The Constitution promises that. Now, do you notice what I said? There's a wall separating the government from the church, not the church from the government. Jefferson never said that in the letter. And this is relevant to our flag because our flag stands for freedom, freedom, liberty, and justice for all. Liberty, liberty. And if you want liberty, you've got to have law. Well, what was the law? The law was represented in that covenantal agreement of our Constitution. Jefferson said this to these Danbury Baptists who were so fearful of federal government intruding into their business. He said, I contemplate with utmost reverence that act which declared that the legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free expression thereof. Thus building a wall of separation between church and state. Close quote. So his message was unmistakable. And the left, the progressives today, are butchering that. And again, reversing that, calling evil good and good evil, bittersweet and sweet bitter. They're reversing that. And what does God tell us in Isaiah? When we do that, woe unto him who calls good evil and evil good. Woe unto him who reverses definitions. It's called lying. Jefferson's message, excuse me, Jefferson's message was unmistakable. There is a wall protecting the church and its parishioners from the state, and no government should ever presume to breach that wall. This wall was not erected as a prison for the church, but rather as a fortress. There's a difference between a prison and a fortress. The fortress exists to protect the church, not confine it. Jefferson no more intended this wall to restrain the church than he intended the walls of his own home to restrain him. Do you get it? As a house has a door whereby you come and go, engaging culture and doing your civic duty and going about your business of shopping and going to work or whatever you do, as a house has a door whereby you go about engaging in culture So Jefferson's wall had a door whereby the church entered society to do its good work. The key here is this. The church holds the key to the door. Not Congress, not the courts. The church holds the key to the door. And the door is locked from the inside, not the outside. And the church can open that door and go out and do what it wants in government, in culture, and then go back inside its house behind that wall and shut the door to keep the government out. That's the point of Jefferson's letter to the Danbury 
Baptists. The wall is built for the church's benefit, not the government's. The wall is built because of the covenantal protections, the covenantal laws. The bricks in that wall are the laws of the Constitution, which are stacked up and mortared together with truth so that the church would be free behind that wall and even outside that wall when it wanted to open the door and go do its business. But it always held the key to the door to go back inside and feel secure. This is the point of Jefferson's letter. This is the analogy of freedom that he used. It was very similar to Chesterton's. If you get rid of the big laws of God, you don't get liberty. You're going to get thousands of little laws. So Jefferson was saying the big laws of the covenant are going to protect your liberty. But don't get rid of them. Never disparage them. Never discard them. Recognize that those big laws represent a law protecting your freedom. So honor them. Retain them. Cherish them. Pass them on to your progeny, your children, your grandchildren, your nieces and your nephews. Those big laws that matter. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.